Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that advocates for sex positive, anti-stigmatizing, and identity validating healthcare, especially in the realm of sexuality. Something Positive for Positive People can be found at www.spfpp.org. And you can listen to the podcast wherever you download podcasts. It has the exact same name. If you'd like to support our efforts and support our cause, uh, as we also advocate for this idea of SCI minimization over STD prevention, you can do so by visiting www.spfpp.org and choose your option. This podcast episode does not feature my voice at all. Uh, this was from the Introduction to Sex Positivity Workshop with uh, Jamie, who is the executive director of Sex Positive World. And so we recorded this podcast. Uh, well, we recorded the call and we had people join. Uh, so you'll hear some other voices chiming in with questions or adding input to the topic of discussion. My intention with this podcast episode and recording that workshop and sharing it is to allow for people who may come through something positive for positive people uh, to really get an inside look at the sort of shortcut through um, the shortcut to the world of sex positivity, if you will, rather than going through the trial and error of other ways that you may find yourself navigating the dating world as someone with herpes. Like I have found exponentially greater (laughs) um, resources and experiences through the world of sex positivity as accepting as it is, especially with me uh, being able to address my own internalized stigma because of what you'll hear Jamie talk about, things like boundaries and being able to practice um, disclosing my STI status to a community of people who are much more open-minded, understanding, and able to uh, communicate that they are educated on the matter, or at least have the emotional intelligence to carry on a conversation about it and not respond in a way that is going to cause more harm than good for you as a person who is, you know, navigating the dating world with um, a herpes diagnosis. So, This recording is essentially an invitation into that space. Um, You'll get an idea of what sex positivity is, what sex positive world is and does. And if you're open to it, you can join. I invite you to check out the classes. They're virtual most of the time. There are chapters across the country, across the world, actually. Um, I hear there's one in Europe. I don't know if it was Berlin or not, but... um, Yeah, like wherever you're listening, I really hope that you find some value out of this and that you consider um, joining, becoming a member of Sex Positive World and surrounding yourself with the kind of community that isn't exclusively locked into the trauma bond of a herpes diagnosis. But you can come in, check it out for yourself, get an understanding of the communication. You can just take the classes. You ain't got to participate in any of the events. Um, if you choose to, then, you know, you'll be on the trajectory of being there in a way that you are most comfortable with and you can navigate. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode and, uh, 
What else was there? Oh, at the end, it, the recording abruptly stops because my voice was coming in and out every time I spoke. So I just removed myself completely. So at that point at the end, you might just notice that um, Jamie's voice just cuts off and that's the end of the podcast recording. So, um, yeah, that's that's it for what I got for you. Hope you enjoyed this. And um, yeah, let me know what you think. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, Courtney. So yeah, welcome to Sex Positive World. I'm Jamie. I'm the executive director of Sex Positive World. And we have uh, some core classes that we do. We do an orientation. We do a class on boundaries. We do a safer sex talk and a class on intersectionality. So this is kind of a quick, like smash them all together type introduction to who we are, what we stand for. So this is kind of a new thing for me, but also old thing because it's little bits and pieces of all of those parts. Let me start by introducing myself. Hey, everybody. I'm Jamie. I use she or they pronouns, executive director of Sex Positive World. I'm a transitional leader, which means I used to run our local chapter here in Ventura called Sex Positive 805. I'm now transitioning with Sex Positive World and uh, probably may take on some leadership with Portland. I've done some stuff on their board. So I move around a little bit and try to help empower other leaders and volunteers as well. I'm an organizer, so I've organized cuddles and socials and educational events. I really love bringing people together and doing consent games. I think that's one of the best ways that we can feel good in our bodies and learn. And not everybody does it. So if you've never been to a cuddle party, I highly recommend them. And you'll hear more about why later. I identify as pansexual or pansensual. Um, I am polyamorous. I identify as solo poly, which means I don't really have a primary partner. It's not necessarily a thing I'm seeking. And I'm a relationship anarchist. And what that means is sex is not the thing that creates the value of my relationship. So I'm very intentional about how I invest in people and being in a relationship does not necessarily mean that we're going to go do all the relationship things. So I like to have deep discussions with potential partners. Let's see here. I'm also a switch. I'm a shibari enthusiast and a sadist. I started out in kink world on the submissive side. I got really into rope bondage. This is with a friend of mine at Intensive. She's having a great time, I promise. And I found out I really like both sides of kink. And right now I lean definitely on the more dom sadist side. I am also a YouTuber. My brand is called Given Consent. I have a show kind of like Courtney's, but the focus isn't just on stories around herpes and STIs. It's about everything around consent culture. So there's episodes on ADHD and how that might affect your sex life. Courtney's been on the show. I've had Dr. Evelyn Dacker talking about the safer sex talk. We've talked about the nude beach, just all over the place. BDSM, of course, too. You can also find me on Instagram. And I am positive for HSV2, which is part of why I did Courtney's show and part of why I'm talking to y'all today is it just so happens that those identities matched up. So welcome. Everything is consent-based within sex-positive world, within our chapters, within everything that we do. We say that as everything needs to really be a hell yes and enthusiastic and informed. I'll talk more on that later. What that means for this group is that if we are having questions or activities come up, um, you don't have to participate. We really respect that. We like hearing no because that means I can trust your yes, and it's really empowering. 
Um, and let's see, let's make space for everybody. So if you're a person who wants to pipe in and share and you can talk for a really long time and chase a squirrel and tell a story and blah, 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 maybe today's the day to take a little break, check yourself, make space for people who have a hard time speaking up. So my first question to this group is, what do you think is sex positivity? So I have this included in my little like hinge bio. And so many people have been like, oh, what do you mean by that? That you're looking for that? And it's always like, oh, okay, interesting to chat about via chat and like more fun to talk about in person. But like just being open to talking about sex and sexuality. I live here in the Midwest. I just feel like the purity culture is so pervasive. And so even talking about kink or um honestly my hsv status has been like so shocking to people and so it's just having um like open dialogue about it and being really like i don't know just curious like don't yuck people's yum <laughs> yeah i love that's a great statement don't yuck people's yum yeah i see uh being unabashed about sexuality and I'm not saying that I'm always that way because I'm not. I'm just answering the question. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's been interesting. And I think since I discovered Courtney and since I most recently got um, rejected again uh, and I've had my diagnosis since 2005, but it's still, uh, I still feel it's my responsibility as a human, a good human to disclose it to a potential partner, even though I never get outbreaks. Um, is that I have my HSV status in my um, all my dating app profiles, and instead of it being like a sob story, I just say like, uh, just letting you know I have HSV too. It's not a big deal. I take meds every day. Ask me anything, <laughs> and inside I'm like, oh my god, I'm so fucking scared. <laughs> but it, I just try to make it sound like, oh, whatever, it's no big deal. So um, that's me trying. <laughs> Thank you. I love that you're talking about like integrity and being informed about your sexuality and your personal ethics too around it. Uh, being able to be open about your sexuality in safe spaces. So sex positivity, it isn't just about sex. It's a way of life. What we say is it comes down to how we raise our kids, how we are in the workplace, in the world, because Society at large really could be described as a sex negative culture where it's a taboo topic where talking about your sexuality becomes really uncomfortable with people or there's this assumption that because we're talking about sex, it's going to lead to the act of sex. Like our society is layered with lots of negative ideas around sex and sexuality. So sex positivity starts reaching out to all of these different parts of our lives. How we put it is it makes no moral distinctions among the types of sexual expression, orientation, or identification. I don't like this definition very much, but it's what we use. I say no matter what you identify as when it comes to your gender and how you define your gender, no matter what it comes to for who you are attracted to and how you express your relationships, including polyamory and power exchange, those are all pieces of sex positivity. It's about having an acceptance around how people are showing up as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual. So sex positive world has lots of different groups associated with it. So this is kind of talks about like the idea behind it, about being open with it and safe and able to express yourself, but also includes a lot of these other groups, which have their own other subgroups. Like you might find a group that's entirely dedicated to kink and BDSM or entirely just for LGBT plus and support groups and so on. We actually 
encompass all of these different groups and sex positivity. So Sex Positive World is a nonprofit group. We started in 2009. We are a 501c3. We started with Gabriela Cordova, who started chapters in Los Angeles and Portland. And those grew with time. Basically, as people found community, found this group that they love, they've moved to other places, and they want to start a chapter. So we are in a number of different cities. I'm in Ventura, California. We have a chapter, Portland, Los Angeles, Idaho. One is potentially starting in Colorado, Austin, Texas, Belgium, New Hampshire area. They're all on our website. I should know all of them, but I don't. And, uh, you know, people, they say like they want to get them started and they do a few social events and then life changes. So because we're volunteer-led, it's always waxing and waning. And that's just kind of the reality of it. What we do is we put on events. Sex Positive World puts on a lot of events like this where we teach classes or we do socials and play different games around consent or have parties where we have different rooms with different activities going on. We also have in-person events. On the world level, we have some worldwide gatherings, but we also have a Hawaii vacation that's a seven-day long vacation for our longtime members and creating more things like that. Like there's a kinky camp out and our local chapters also create their own events. So we provide resources and support and common language so that all the chapters are kind of doing the same thing. We agree about what consent is, how our communities ought to run. So that basically like when you move about the different chapters, you could find events and community no matter where you are. Um, we are not a hookup site or a dating group. I'm getting a bunch of grownups together to talk about their sexuality or polyamory. Hooking up happens, dating does happen, but it's not the purpose of our group. We're not a therapy group. We are creating experiences that can be very therapeutic in nature, but that's not the purpose of our group. All of our groups are nonprofits themselves, or like I said, Sex Positive World is a 501c3. And we're not a franchise model, so we're not like trying to make this roll out everywhere. Anybody who volunteers to do this kind of work, they're volunteering. Uh, so like I was saying, we have chapters in all these different cities. Not all chapters are alike. Every chapter is unique, has its own culture and structure. You can find our local chapters, of which I did not remember all of them, on our website, sexpositiveworld.org slash chapters. What they do have in common is our core classes. The first two that we do are an orientation and a class called Awesome Boundaries. Our next orientation is coming up is on our website. And the next one is our level system, which I'll explain next. Um, the pleasure talk, AKA the safer sex talk. And in progress right now is a class called Sexy Intersections, where we are talking about intersectionality and how that shows up with our chapters. So how aspects of social justice actually find their way into sex positive culture. So the level system, I talked about the fact that it's not just about sex. So what about everything that happens between like a handshake and like PIV sex? Like there's all this space in the middle. So what if we define that so that we could actually have events where we're exploring sensuality or nurturing nature or kink, but we're keeping our clothes on. So here's how it works. So we have level one events. These are educational. They're like greeting hugs, no sexual interaction. So the purpose of the events, not around touching events like this where we're talking, doing a class or a social. 
level two events, this is where we're getting into the nurturing touch, the sensual touch, cuddling, kissing, maybe kink tasers where there's touching, but it's not like getting all erotic and sexy. No gentle touching. So these are the events where like, if children came in the room, they wouldn't be horrified. Level three, this is where clothes can come off and we can get into some erotic and sexual touch. But it's not climax centered. So we're not trying to get to an orgasm. So like Tantra would be in here or if we were taking clothes off and doing different things with kink. Genital touch is okay, but we're not driving to an orgasm and there's no penetration or fluid exchange. And last is our level four uh, events. There might be some oral sex or penetrative sex. And each of these comes with those core classes. So we want you to have that boundaries class at a level two. We want you to know how to have a safer sex talk when you're at level four. Are there any questions about um, the level system or the chapters or anything I've talked about so far? Um, okay. I, yeah, I don't even know how to ask. Like, um, I, so a level four event, I mean, it, maybe this is just me feeling naive or something, but um, this would just be like having consensual sex with strangers in front of everyone or like what's happening? Oh, th thank you for asking. Honest it is so <laughs> great to have questions because I almost feel like I'm so immersed in it. I forget that it's like not normal or it's a little taboo. So our events are very crafted. So like a level three event that we do that's a signature event of ours is called a massage a trois. So we'll set up multiple massage tables. Maybe you have like a dozen people for massage tables. And you would discuss your boundaries before you lay down on the table to get your forehand massage and take turns. So basically you could be like, I am okay with female bodied people touching these parts of my body. I am seeking some actual like strain in my back to be relieved, or I want this to be really sexy. I want long strokes, or I don't want anybody touching my feet. So we want everything to be consent-based and asking for what you want. So at a level four party, it might be like a demonstration, say like someone did a class on like cunnilingus, which has happened before. So maybe someone could teach a class and then we could do it practically like side by side. So it could be something a bit clinical like that, which I know sounds also very sexy and it is, but it could also be a sex party where different things are happening in different places. Usually we like to separate space though, to say like, here's a space where you can sit and not participate and people will cover their genitals. Like the kitchen is like a great place to not have play happen. You say, but in these back bedrooms, if you're back there, people can be naked and having sex. Or if you're in this front room, let's keep it sweet and soft and sensuous. So they're, they're all different kinds of events that can happen. And yeah, you, you do the massage or doing classes that involve genital penetration would also be level four. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And I have one piggyback question, if that's okay. Um, what about people with uh, HSV? Uh, how does that come into play? How do you disclose that at one of the events? And are there like, yeah, just, I guess that's the question. 
Yeah, absolutely. Where do I want to start with this? Basically, each of our different events have different risk levels. So if you go to a level one event, the risk is very low. If you go to a level two event, the risk is still very low. But if you have cold sores, for example, and you're at a kissing event, it may be that you want to disclose that because you want to be ethical, even if you're not having an outbreak. So what I find in the sex positive community is because we're all very risk aware because people are not living so much in the um, prudish assumptions of society. People are a lot less scared, I would say, and less assumptive when it comes to that. So I've had the interaction where I'm at like a level four event and people will say, let's have a stars talk. So before we even get into it, there's this moment of pausing and having that safer sex talk. What are your safety measures? And when was your last STI test? And how many partners since that last STI test? So there's people who are willing to take a risk. Who are people who also test positive within the space. And there's also space to go, well, I would be a no to genital penetration, but I have fingers and I have toys and I have gloves. Like there's space to also negotiate for different kinds of touch. And that is actually a huge part of what we do is getting people to talk more about those things and be less controlled by those societal assumptions that keep us all scared. Jamie, I had a question. So all of these events are where you guys are located in Portland? There is a chapter in Portland, also Los Angeles, and a lot of other places too. That have the, the levels that you just mentioned? Yeah. Or that do the level events? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So for the level four, when you all have the events, anyone can attend the events. Is that what you're saying? Every chapter is different. Most of them expect you to come to a certain amount of other events before you come to a level four, including the core classes. Like generally they want you to come to orientation and an awesome boundaries class before you go into level three. And then they want you to take those intersection class and then the um, safer sex class before you're going to level threes and level fours. And then also like coming to socials and things like it's, it's nice to know who's there, not just be in a room full of strangers. Like, okay, take your clothes off. What? <laughs> that, that sounds scary to me. So it's nice because you become more of a community, more of a social club. And what else is nice about like going to a cuddle or like a kinky taster that you know is a level two or a level three, especially for me being positive for HSV2 is I know that's just not going to come up tonight. I can go, I can have fun, I can participate, and I'm just not going to have to worry about that tonight. At a level four oh. party, I'm going to have to make a decision about when that talk happens. All right. I'm asking y'all, what is a boundary? I think this is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Uh, this class is all about boundary setting. And my number one thing that people tell me when I say I teach a class called Awesome Boundaries is they go, oh, that's great. I'm really bad at setting boundaries. So if you have ever felt that way, you're definitely not alone. What we say is it's that line that defines the border of what you're a yes to doing and what you are not. Boundaries are not just about physical space. They can be about time. I'm a big fan of the, I only have 15 minutes for this. I only have an hour for this. Uh, your energy, like, do you really have enough energy to make the thing happen that people are demanding of you? 
to your emotions, your emotional investments, how much you're willing to like get upset with somebody if they're upset, your relationships and the types of relationships that you end up in. And yeah, of course, touch and the kind of touch that you're willing to give or receive. Does anybody have other examples of boundaries? Let's say if it's a hell yes or a hell no, you know you've met a boundary. Yep. I do think that a boundary is what allows us to feel like most aligned, whether it's saying yes or no. And sometimes you can't do that in work settings, but sometimes you can. And, um, you know, I, I set a boundary today at work and it felt really good, but it also sometimes has consequences. So it's just, I think it's just sort of getting to alignment with whatever the decision is. Yeah. And it's also late for me. So I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you totally are. And I, because, uh, you know, with work, there's a power dynamic in play because they're paying you. Like, it's always interesting because you're like, where is the boundary here? I, I like what you're talking about. The window of tolerance reminds me of what a boundary is. I sometimes talk about that window of time when I realize that something has gone beyond my boundary or met the boundary. And then I'm like, okay, how can I get out of this situation the fastest? So we like to do this like little um, exercise about boundaries and say, so what am I a yes to doing? It fits in this circle. Like I'm a yes to doing this workshop tonight. It's a hell yes. And then you have different layers before you're really hitting those edges and boundaries. So maybe it's uh, it's gone from a hell yes to a good, not great when you're, you know, I, this happens to me in conversations a lot too. And then it can go to neutral, somewhat uncomfortable. Now that whatever we're doing has gotten bad. And then you have other final layer, medically dangerous. And I hope when things get medically dangerous, you're going to speak up when you're with somebody. The question is, where do you set your boundaries? And we would know that we've set a boundary because the question is, where do you usually speak up? I think mine has changed over the course of like when I've been initially sexually active until now with partners. And it's so interesting because like, man, I, I wish I could go back and set those boundaries at a way earlier time versus like waiting until I'm uncomfortable to do so. Cause either when you're uncomfortable and you're doing so you're like, you can be persuaded to just like suppress the discomfort. Um, or you can, you know, uh, be afraid to like speak up or whatever. So it's definitely changed over time. Now I'm like, nah, we're not pulling that show with me. So yeah. Nice. Thank you. I see somewhat uncomfortable in the chat or realizing that you're being triggered or an icky feeling. I love that. I love the embodied response. It's kind of the flip side of this question. When would you want your partner to speak up? It is okay if no one wants to speak up on this one. I'm going to. <laughs> definitely, definitely a dad. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Erica. No, I'm going to. I just had a situation recently. It's just um, sometimes I want to say that I want him to speak up right away. But other times I also want him to measure the situation, right? Like say it right away, but look at me first. Am I ready to receive what you're going to say? Or do you need to give me a few minutes to 
go sit down somewhere and calm down about whatever I'm freaking out about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to practice that with my kids, but it's hard because sometimes we wait too long or they wait too long. And then you're like, why did you wait so long? Why didn't you just say something right away? Well, you were in your moment. So I wanted to give you space. So it's a balance. I feel like it's a balance. And I feel like the situation depends on it. Like how serious is it? Is it something that I really need to say right now? Or can it really wait? And sometimes waiting it out helps because then everybody's kind of calmed down a little bit, right? We can put emotions in check, kind of put them to the side, but we don't always do that. So it's just, it's a give and take in that situation. That's it. (laughs) All right. Last question. Um, So I asked, where do you speak up? Is that where you actually want to speak up or do you wish it was something different? And here's maybe some ideas about what these things would actually like look like in the moment. Like a hell yes, it's like, it's exactly what I wanted. And, you know, we put like emotionally triggering in the bad category. And again, you don't have to share with the group. What's nice about this, and I actually have this in a worksheet form also, is it's kind of like a check-in for yourself. Like, how am I doing it? Like communicating with me the way I want to be communicated with. Yeah. And it is kind of, it's a spectrum. And I feel as though also every time I get better at setting boundaries, I realize that there's a whole other bunch of boundaries I'm really like not great at setting. So it's, it's a learning process. And part of what's great about the level system that we use for sex positive is it can start teaching you those kind of responses. Like someone mentioned, just like that icky feeling is how you know that you found your boundary. Like, wouldn't it be great if you found that at a cuddle party instead of like in bed with a partner? Like it's a little less severe when you realize that you've gone too far or maybe you can explore that space in a really safe way. So boundaries are something we're all working on all of the time. All right. So the last piece of what I want to talk about here is um, around the safer sex talk. But what I wanted to do now is uh, an embodied check-in. So we're talking about boundary setting. We're talking about sex and sexuality. And I've just kind of thrown all of this at you. So what I'd like to do is just pause for a moment and just like take a deep breath together. Just And if you are willing to with me, kind of like to close your eyes or maybe soften your gaze for a moment. Because what I want you to think about here is to just... Uh, Take a few deep breaths and really like feel what's going on with your body. The great thing about taking some deep breaths and shutting down the eyes is that we actually calm ourselves because we are kicking up our parasympathetic nervous system, which actually increases blood flow to the decision-making parts of your brain and makes you more in tune with your body. Because what I want you to think about here while you're getting calm, taking some deep breaths is maybe a situation that was uncomfortable for you. Maybe somebody who asked for too much or try to take too much and asking yourself, where do I feel that in my body? Your boss has a project for you and you just do not have the time. Your partner wants to try something new and it sounds scary. Did you take a deep breath? What does that feel like for you? Can I take a mental note? And then on the other half of this, while we continue to take just a deep breath, how we're feeling. 
what if I offer you something that's really good and sensuous as a treat that you've been really wanting and you earned it? Or you're going to be getting some just high props at work. You're going to be getting a raise. Things are going to go well. All you have to do is say yes. And where, where do you feel that in your body? I'm just kind of taking an assessment of that. And I just want to encourage us, let's just take a couple deep breaths together. And then as you're ready, just kind of open up your eyes, going back onto Zoom. And as I see you all, where did you feel that in your body? Like physically, where did you feel it? I felt the um the first one I guess that was the I got so into it that I was like almost asleep the 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 negative feeling I felt in my gut yeah and the positive feeling I felt in my heart space but I know that they're just so intertwined and connected that sometimes I feel good stuff in my gut and bad stuff in my heart and vice versa but that was that was cool thank you yeah, I, after doing this a little, like more and more and more, I started realizing I always felt no in my gut. And it started being that I could feel it at times when I wasn't even being offered things, like it'd be an awkward social situation. It's like, I don't know why, but I'm a no right now. So I'm going to leave the room and then have people get really weird about it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's something going on. Anybody else feel it in a different place? Sometimes people will feel it like they'll feel like a lightheadedness. Some folks just anybody not feel it in their bodies. I felt it like starting the the negative. I started at my gut, but it went down to like the middle of my thigh. Oh. It was that whole area. Yeah. Um, felt tense and I didn't like it. And then the positive it shifted up to like my heart and I felt almost like, like my third eye, the mm. positive. Yeah. The lightness, but also the back of the neck was like, um, negative too, like tense back here. Nice. Thank you. I felt both, both feelings in my chest and, uh, like lungs and heart, which was weird having both in the same spot. I was going to say what the young lady just said, too. Um, I felt it in my heart space. And in the negative part, I felt like the flight fright. You know, when you want to run. Mm -hmm. So that the negative, but I, like her, I too felt the, um, I felt both of them in, in that heart, in that heart area. So I guess it's something I just still need to work on. Yeah. What, what I like about this particular exercise is um, I have two breathing exercises I really like to do when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling that fight or flight response um, because our nervous system has two modes. You have your, your, your parasympathetic, which is what we just intentionally got ourselves into. When you breathe deep and slowly, you put yourself into rest and digest mode. You get blood into the thinking part of your brain. But when you're feeling stressed, you actually pull a lever because you're no longer in your parasympathetic, you're in your sympathetic nervous system. That's fight or flight. That is a uh, buck or fawn or freeze we put in there too, which can be like, let me take care of you. Cause if I take care of you, then you'll stop being a threat. Or it can look like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want. 
it's when we're, we're kind of going blank and we're not really in touch with our body anymore. So I like to do these kind of deep belly breathing exercises or another great one is just do a uh, box breathing, which is where you do like inhale to a count of four, hold it for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, stay empty for a count of four. You do that for three or four rounds and you'll really calm down and it helps you just make more level-headed decisions and recognize like, well, am I uncomfortable or do I need to leave? And I've, I've definitely used that before. And that's a lot of what we do with sex positive events as well as like wanting people to be able to stay in their bodies because that keeps things safe and sane and consensual. Um, and if you felt it differently in your body, if you're like, that was weird or whatever, like the main thing here is that we just want to notice what's going on with our bodies. Um, it's a learning process. You don't get fit by going to the gym one time. You can't do it by going all the time. So it's okay if you didn't feel it or if you felt nothing, that is totally fine. We're just noticing, we're not judging. Just, just put that out there. All right, the last one of the classes I really want to talk about is our safer sex talk. And I think for this group in particular is really what we wanted to get to, like the, the juice. There are lots of ways to have the talk. The important thing is to have one. I am a big fan of Dr. Evelyn Dacker, who does a, a talk called the STARS Talk. STARS is an acronym, and she actually has a workbook on her website. And with Sex Positive World, we actually use a different model. So I like to refer to Evelyn's because she actually teaches that class frequently. We teach it quarterly. Some things that we like to include. Intentions. If we have sex, what does that mean? What do we actually want to do together? Um, what are the things that you find to be a turn on? And setting that stage, I am personally not a fan of people who say like, let's see what happens or are very non-specific. I like to know what I'm getting into. Your sexual health information. You know, I was last tested for STIs in May. And they tested me for chlamydia and gonorrhea. My last uh, test for HPV was in January. A lot of people do not necessarily know this information off the top of their heads. And a lot of people really do. Um, more on that later. But also, uh, like, what are you, what's your uh, sexual health practices as well? So, like, do you use barriers with partners? Are you polyamorous? Are you open? Are you monogamous? What are your boundaries? What are the things that you are a hell no, do not go there. What are the things that you're like, I would be okay with that, but it's not my favorite. Or maybe it's only for somebody who you're intimate and close with. Or maybe there's something that you need in order to have sex in the first place. Like some folks, they really need an emotional connection. They really need a intellectual connection. They really wanna know everything about you. Some of us, don't want to know a whole lot about you. We just want to go have fun. Um, yeah, and then your turn-ons and your turn-offs. So there are words that people use that are real turn-off to you or certain actions that are real turn-off. It's good to know those things in advance. Yeah, and then communication. I'm going to go to the STARS talk because I'm more familiar with it. That one is um, your STI status, which I just mentioned. Is like, when did you last get tested? your turn-ons, your avoids, your relationship intentions. And the last one is STI etiquette. And that's where we start talking about things like 
using words like clean to describe yourself when you come up with a negative test is really crappy. Um, and then like, what is your actual practice? Like if I were to use my personal practice, um, I'm a big old slut. I like to have sex with lots of people. I like to, I like to, I miss Craigslist when you could just go and do on the personals. I found other versions of it. I go on Reddit. I do all that. That's me. That's not somebody else's uh, practice, but that means I have a safer sex talk, but I want to be really upfront with people. If you have sex with me, we're not going to end up with a monogamous boyfriend, girlfriend situation. I go to parties. I organize these things. I want to be really clear about where I'm at. And um, that if you have a positive test, I would expect for you to tell me in the future. And also I do test positive for HSV2 or genital herpes. And I also feel that condoms are plenty of protection. And I also understand that not everybody feels that way. So there's uh, lots of great prompts that come from that. And I said, Courtney put it in the make time for the talk link. And I think that Dr. Dacker does really, really great work. All right, so I got through three core classes that are about seven hours worth of content in an hour. So I just threw a lot of information at you and I wanted to make space for Q&A um, to talk about these different pieces of sex positivity or answer questions. I'm happy to answer questions about polyamory or kink or what, whatever y'all have questions about. So are there questions at this point on the safer sex talk? Um, I had a question. So it's obviously relating to HSV. Um, when did you find this confidence again? And I don't know if you ever lost it with HSV, but like, that's the thing that I'm struggling with right now is finding the confidence, even with one partner to be able to be like back to where I was before it. It waxes and wanes a little bit, honestly, for me. I got my diagnosis before I was part of sex positive culture in 2015. Um, for one, I had doctors who said, don't disclose at the beginning. So I went through a whole ethics dilemma of eventually saying, it's important to me that I disclose because I need to feel good. You know, like it took time to get there. Um and sometimes, especially in the hookup game, it's like rejections all night long and lots and lots of chocolate. And sometimes, you know, it's, you know, I could just be upfront in that way. What's nice about the sex positive community when we're in these events is I hit a lot less rejection because people have taken that safer sex, sex class. So we actually talk about the fact that like, HSV is not typically tested for and the scare tactics around it are blown out of proportion. So you meet people who've already been socialized to think about it as opposed to out in dating world or in the hookup culture where people are a lot more like, oh my God, that's scary because they've never thought about it before is my, my usual thing because sometimes I have to pick at people and ask those questions. So like, like I said, it, it waxes and wanes, honestly. It, I think it depends on two kind of like your your dating style. Like I, I tend to be right out the gate with it with people because I'm not seeking a long-term partner and I would think it would be different if that's not what you were looking for. Does that answer your question? That was beneficial. I'd say too, the because um, you asked about like growing confidence, also like going to an event like... um. Like the massage a trois 
where I could have those four hands on me and I could receive touch that was nurturing and sexy and fun and know that like I didn't have to have that anxiety but when am I going to disclose like oh I'm gonna have to disclose soon like I, I wasn't getting in my head because I knew it wasn't on the table you guys probably don't have that in Tennessee is my guess we have a chapter in Nashville <laughs> what oh yeah. okay all right we're connecting <laughs> I wish there was a chapter in D.C. I know it says you can start one if you want, but I'm like, I just want to go to an event before I start a chapter. Yeah. Um, so, Jamie, thank you again so much for your time and Courtney for putting this together. I, I just want to say that first. Secondly, um, the thing that I put down in my form, which I had forgotten about, but it's just always in the back of my mind. You know, I mentioned before that I've had my diagnosis for a long time. It was actually when I lost my virginity. So it was like kind of a double whammy. I've only ever had it of the duration of my sexual life. Um, But I still have so much anxiety every time I have to disclose to a partner. And, you know, I've read so many like dating blogs or whatever about like, you know, if you have to disclose, well, if you have to, if, if you disclose, it's better to do it without you know, when you're wearing clothes and when you're not in a sexual situation and whatever, but like, like, how do you get, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to be chased for two months before, you know, not that there's anything wrong either with, with not having sex, but it's just like, so the only time I've ever been able to disclose is like when things start to heat up a little bit, but before it gets too, too much. And by then I'm already feeling extra vulnerable because I'm, partially naked not fully but like partially and it's just like I don't know I mean I, I've, I've taken the trauma out of my story but I still have so much anxiety over when and and how and um and you know what it's a weeding out mechanism but every rejection still really 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 hurts really hurts so it's just like I don't know it's a it's sort of a piggyback off of Christy but even that, you know, I've, I've had it since I was 22. I'm 39 now. It doesn't get in. Mm, it got, it's getting easier, but like, but mostly because I've been single by choice for so long. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, how would you disclose it? I know you're more poly or solo poly, but um, do you always disclose like when you're in a completely like non-sexual situation or what's been the most successful for you and what do you recommend for people yeah no great question so i set my boundaries with people in advance so if i think i would like to fuck somebody i make a decision about disclosing if i am not going if i've made a decision before the night starts that this is going to be platonic or we're just going to cuddle i hold that boundary and that 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 took time, <laughs> but I, I set those boundaries in advance for one. Um, then for two, when it comes to like when I'm talking to somebody as a potential uh, date or sex friend, I have a list of questions I ask that set me up to have the least amount of um, pain from it. Like, cause I answer personal sad. Like one of my first questions is, are you single? because there's a lot of cheaters out there and being asked point blank, they're going to be honest. 
And then um, I tend to ask them, well, when were you last tested? Or I will say something like, I was tested in May and I was negative on all the typical stuff. Well, because HSV is not on the typical stuff list. So if they in response say, oh, I haven't been tested, I don't know. I'm like, this person's gonna hurt me. <laughs> if they know they're, that they've been tested and they seem responsible, that makes me a lot more hopeful that they're also gonna receive it well. Um, and, and the statements I use is just, you know, I test positive for HSV2 slash genital herpes because people don't know. Um, I don't, I've, I've never had an outbreak. That's true for me, you know, and I feel like condoms are enough protection and I understand not everyone feels that way. So I, I phrase it as here it is. I feel safe enough. And I also understand that not everyone feels safe enough because that also for me has created an out for the other person to say, yeah, I don't feel safe enough instead of, oh my God, you're a nice person. You seem so nice. And they start doing all the stuff that doesn't feel good. So it kind I just like to give people an out. That's been my solution to that problem. And that's when someone goes, and I've gotten different answers of like, no, I don't feel safe enough. I've had people say yes and then ghost me. I've had people say, no, 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 I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And I've also had people say, you know, oh, I, I do feel like that's safe enough. That's fine. I, I know. Or I've had a partner who's had that before, or I'm positive for it too. And I'm the one who disclosed before they did. Anybody ever implying to want to do a sexy thing with me? I'm a no to until we've had that conversation. And I, I feel like when you're on dating apps and things, people can be very aggressively like, let me tell you what I want to do to you, especially when you are the, the woman in a heteronormative situation. And I, I just find that to be unacceptable for my boundaries. I'm like, I, it already puts me in anxiety mode that we haven't talked about that. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. It's as soon as you're talking about what, what sex stuff you're going to do together. Um, I'm also looking at the chat about this closing too soon and it turning to education. I have gotten to the point where if I am in education mode, I'm not going to have sex with that person. Like if I'm having to explain to somebody about how it's not a typical STI test and it's really scary and there's all those scare tactics, I'm like, I'm not going to have sex with this person. It's, it's uh, not not sexy type to me. I find sex nerds a lot more appealing. <laughs> I appreciate you talking about being too soon. Yeah. Other questions? So while there's no questions coming in, I also host some events uh, that are coming up uh, through my website called Giving Consent. I should say givingconsent.com, but I'm doing a discussion group on polyamory, one on power exchange and kink. And then we're reading this book called Creating Consent Culture, which is a lot about like how to set up these spaces and talk about consent. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people and I'm offering for the first time ever a six-week relationship intensive, which is all about creating the relationships in your life that you actually want instead of ending up in the patterns of dating your ex one more time. And the last piece is Sex Positive World has a Facebook group so people can come together and talk about these topics. And then we have sexpositiveworld.org.